0: Hello there, and welcome to episode 9 of Right You Are, with me, John Payne. Um, I'm going to take a bit of a change of tack today, Um, not that much, I'm not going to start talking about uh, bungee jumping or anything like that, but uh, I thought I'd, instead of reading chapter 6, what believe I'm up to, of uh, the first draft of the Badger Helper Watershire, I thought I'd read um, a short story that I wrote quite a while ago that um, I've, I've not read for a, quite quite a long time, and I thought I'd sort of see how I could improve it, maybe. Um, I was getting much sleep last night, sounded a bit tired, uh, the heat um, was just intense, and I was trying to tie myself out. I, I, I read a, a book on, on writing, um, not Stephen King's book, which is actually called On Writing. And, well, I did have that, I'll still have to get that again. But no, it was just a book about um, short story writing. And I read, a, I think it was about three chapters actually. I, was, I, was, I could have been reading for about an hour. But I was so out of it, sort of zonked out. I, I, pff, hopefully, some of it went in on a subconscious level. Um, I read about symbolism, and that, intre- that chapter was quite interesting. Made me think maybe you try uh, doing that. Uh, it said that some people do have uh, symbols in their work without actually even realising it, on a maybe a subconscious level. So I'm going to see today, as I read out this story, uh, see, see if there are any symbols in there that I could kind of uh, enhance, and therefore help to make the story a bit more enjoyable. The, the, the symbolism thing was, uh, the, uh, one example was a mother Finding it hard to like go of her son, and at the beginning of the story, her son was playing with some kittens, and the, the mother of kittens, and it was seen as not 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 that important to the story. But later on, the mother witnesses the the mother of the cat of the kittens sort of trying to force the kittens to fend for themselves a little bit. And that was a mirror for the, um, the ongoing part of the the, of, of the human lover uh, need, needing to try and let go of the sun. Um, there's another example of a, someone that uh, I think it's an alcoholic character who came to a, a beach town or something to sort of fall back into drinking habits be away from family be judging them and stuff and he sees a, I think a boat on the ocean struggling with the waves and that became a symbol for his struggle with the drinking and would the boat survive would he survive and everything sort of mirrored the boat mirrored him and he mirrored the boat and so it's interesting ideas about symbolism and like I say I'm going to in this story the ice cream obligation which is based on a very uh, bizarre incident on one of my dinner hours at work once Um, I'm going to see if there's any symbolism in there and as I read it something else that I read last night might come back to me possibly Uh, anyway Here we go. The ice cream obligation. Where had it all gone wrong? Everything used to seem, no, everything did used to be simpler. I was sat in the park on my dinner hour, fed up and trying to escape it by reading, but I couldn't concentrate. I was searching my mind for a time when I was happy with myself, happy with my place in the world. I'd just lost the Holmes account. I didn't care, but my boss did, and he told me I was paid well enough to. He made it sound like I'd sold out. The truth was, I had. I'd been with the firm for nearly five years, and seemingly, through no hard work of my own, just from people leaving to have babies or whatever, I'd risen amongst the ranks. The only reason I stayed was because of the reasonable salary and a potent mix of laziness and paranoia. Once, after one of the many endless meet- meetings about the future of the company, one of the leading directors had pulled me aside because he just had to tell me how impressed he was with my presentation. I had a natural talent, he said, and I was going to make the, company's, the, the company a leading force in the market. Maybe he was right. But as the fat old man with a head shaped like the Muffins he ate, blabbered on, I remembered something that my English teacher, Mrs. Baxendale, had said to me all those years ago. I had a rare talent. And if I, if I could be bothered to nurture it and work a bit harder, I could go on to be a good writer one day, maybe even a great one. But that was it, wasn't it? I couldn't be bothered. I was unwaveringly lazy, and that laziness had led me to a place I didn't want to be, and ultimately didn't have the energy to escape from. I'd been all too willing to take the advice of everyone who told me that even if I did manage to finish a novel, which apparently was highly unlikely, it would take a miracle to get it published, unless I was famous already for something else. So I'd gone with the easy option and ended up miserable, with nothing but regrets to reflect on. But hey, at least I could pay the rent each month. Suddenly, I was snapped out of my self-pity by an ice cream van. I vaguely recalled passing it over on the opposite side of the park, near the path which led on to the local supermarket car park, but now it was moving towards me at alarming speed. Just when I thought it wasn't going to stop, it screeched to a halt just a few feet away. Seconds later... A desperate yet jovial looking man with a shiny bald head and red cheeks. He kind of reminded me of a ninety sorry, he kind of reminded me of a ninety nine without the flake. Jumped out of the van. Can you just watch my van for a couple of minutes, mate? he said. I need to nip to the loo. Well, needless to say, I was a bit taken aback by this request. I couldn't remember ever being asked to watch someone's van before I knew that I'd never been asked to watch someone's ice cream van before. I'm a, natru- I'm a naturally paranoid man, as I told you. If I lived a more dangerous life, I could claim that, that that's what keeps me alive. As it is, it's more likely that it's what keeps me alone and playing it safe. Yet, despite my suspicions, I heard myself saying, OK, sure. He said thanks in that desperate way and stated again, it would only be a couple of minutes, and dashed off. It only took a few seconds for my paranoia to pounce and pin me to the ground, and started throwing questions at me like, Why did he pick you to watch it? Is this some kind of setup for one of those annoying hidden camera shows? Does he expect you to sell his ice cream to anyone who turns up? I started to feel obligated. This big responsibility had suddenly been thrust upon me, with no prior notice. No thought as to whether or not I wanted to do it. In fact, his asking me was just lip service. He may as well have just parked it on my foot and said, Hey mate, you're going to watch my van, and if any of my stuff goes missing, I'll kill you. What could I do? I suppose I could have just walked off. but I was in the middle of my lunch, and I couldn't do that anyway, could I? Lunch or no lunch? Like it or not, I was tied to that ice cream van. Our fates intertwined intertwined and bound together by the ice cream van man's claims that he was desperate for the loo. How did I know that was true? How did I know he was an ice cream man, even? I should have asked him for some ID. For all I knew, he was a drug dealer or something, and one of his jobs had gone south, as they say. Maybe he'd pulled a fast one on some rich and influential clients, and they were heading over to ventilate him, and his van, and I'd get caught in the crossfire. What if they thought I was him? They might not have actually seen him. They could have done the deal down the badly lit alley. It's hard being me, you know. All these worries spinning around in my head. Like trapped bees. I tried to get a grip on myself. It'd probably only been a minute, anyway. And he stipulated a couple of minutes. Not very specific. That could mean anything. Up to and including four minutes, I guessed, depending on what he'd done he'd gone in there to do. people don't tend to enjoy sitting on public toilet seats, so more than likely he'd been he'd be in and out of there, whatever his business, if indeed he was in there at all. I told myself to ignore the worry bees and get back to my book with his with his hand pinned to the floor by the assassin's blade. David had no way of moving out of the range of the sniper's bullet. With his hand pinned to the floor by the assassin's blade. With his hand pinned to the floor. It was no use. I couldn't concentrate. Where is he? I thought. it has been ages. And, and then, there he was. Striding back towards me and his van. He looked like an entirely different man. I felt a pang of jealousy at relief on his face. The desperation was gone and the redness in his cheeks had been replaced by a pasty, bland, white kind of... white... sorry, by a pasty, bland, white kind of reminded me of Charlie Brown from the old comic strip. Sorry about that, he said. I've been holding it for ages, and I just couldn't do it any longer. Not without serious health and safety violations, anyway. He laughed at his own joke, unlocked his van and started up the engine. Wait a minute, I thought. He, he unlocked his van, so why on earth did he need me to watch it for him? All sorts of questions started buzzing around my head again, but before I could pin any of them down, he poked his head out of the vending window, or whatever those things are called. Do you want an ice cream, mate? he shouted. I must have looked confused and hesitant, because he followed it up with three words that everyone should hear at least once in their lifetime. A free ice cream? Um, yeah, sure. Thanks, I said, my words and manner eyeing the way I really felt about the prospect of a free ice cream. By the time I'd got over to the vending window, he'd already made up the most amazing-looking ice cream I'd seen in a very long time. I thought you would want all the toppings, mate. He wasn't exaggerating, it had sherbet, cherry sauce, toffee sauce and two flakes sticking out of the top, like two cartoonish chimneys. It looked like the Witch's Tempting Cottage from Hansel and Gretel, through the eyes of someone suffering from a really bad, or really good, depending on your perspective, acid flashback. Just looking at the thing made my fillings tremble, but just as I couldn't refuse to watch over his van. I could not refuse a free ice cream with all the toppings in the world. I wrapped my mouth around it, and... Wow. I never say that, but that's how it tasted. I could try to go into more detail, but my words would somehow take something away from the beautiful simplicity of it. The only other thing I want to say on the matter is that it tasted so good that my paranoia almost lost its grip. Almost. So... "'I said, my tongue dripping with ice cream. "'Why did you ask me to guard your van? "'You locked it up. "'No one could have nicked anything.' "'My question seemed to shock him, "'because he stopped what he was doing "'and his head snapped towards me like a startled cat, "'suddenly aware of a predator in its midst. "'He looked at me as if I'd just rumbled him, "'which, to be fair, I had. "'Then his eyes seemed brighter somehow.' And as he leaned forward, a smile crept across his, around his face. I felt as if I'd been rumbled, which I hadn't. Well done, mate, he said. I'm sorry, what? A mouthful of cherry sauce I on my shirt. You have passed the test, my friend. I knew I'd find someone, someday. I'm sorry, what? This was fast becoming my new catchphrase. You've won. You get to take over the running of the ice cream van. My mouth was full, so my eyes asked the next question, which was pretty much the same as the last two. I needed... He paused for dramatic effect. I had to find someone, who's honest and stout of heart, to, to take over. And I have. You. As he said all this, his hands were flapping about all over the place, like a weatherman with too many energy drinks in his system. I'm sorry. You want me to take over your business on a permanent basis. He looked more serious, but still with that glint in his eye. As he leaned closer to me, he sounded somber. Would you? If you could? I um I didn't know what to say. I wasn't sure whether the sun was getting to me, or if he'd slipped another type of topping onto my ice cream. It's okay, mate, he said leaning back against the fridge behind him. I was just messing with you. I've always wanted to do that to someone, but now that I have, it it seems kind of cruel. Sorry about that. You just looked like you needed a bit of a laugh, but as usual I got it wrong. My ice cream was almost all gone now, melted, but I didn't mind too much. I managed to eat at least half of it, As I thought about what the ice cream man had just told me, I felt something happening to my face. It felt like a twitch, but slower and smoother. It was a smile. Then something else happened. As I thought about the ridiculousness of what the ice cream man had tried to do, I started to do exactly what he'd wanted me to. I laughed. Not a a chuckle or sniff of the nose type laugh. No, it was a proper out-of-control laugh that more sensible people look down their noses at. It was a kind of vicious circle of laugh because the more I did it, the more surprised I was that I was doing it and this made me laugh even louder. The sound of my laugh was so alien to me, like an echo from the past that I'd all but forgotten. Suddenly, um, Suddenly, a memory, one of the memories that I'd desperately been searching for earlier, came back to me when me and my mates used to sit in Sarah's cafe, drinking coffee through straws. I think about the stupid things our manager had said that day. Brilliant. I hadn't laughed like this in years. Why hadn't I? I suddenly remembered a time when we were in that cafe, and a random old guy had come up to me and said something like, Don't ever lose that laugh, lad. It's what keeps them at bay. I still didn't know who he meant, and I think he may have been drunk, I didn't care. My laugh was back. Well, I'm glad I cheered you up, the ice cream man said. I'd almost forgotten he was there. You looked so sad, sat there on your own, like your life was falling apart. I've been there. I looked up at him, that wonderful smile still spread across my face. I wanted to just give you an ice cream, straight out, but then I thought that would seem suspicious. ''Well, I was suspicious enough when you asked me to watch the van,'' I confessed. ''I thought you were a drug dealer or something.'' At this, he looked startled again and said, ''Conspiratorial... con... Well, this is a hard word to say.'' ''And said, conspiratorially...'' ''I am. My other van's got blacked-out windows.'' I laughed at this. My returning laugh had brought with it my sense of humour which I hadn't even realised was missing. Anyway, that's why I asked you to watch the van for me, so I'd have an excuse to give you an ice cream. I suppose I opted it just in case you turned out to be a weirdo, and now you've got the added bonus of a funny story to tell your mates. That's true, I said, still smiling. As I left the park, a truth filled my mind. Life may be dark, depressing, and all too real most of the time, but shiny little surreal moments like that one always find their way through the darkness. I knew that whenever I'd be sat in one of those endless meetings, bored to tears, I would look back at this moment and smile. Well, there you go. That was uh, my uh, short story, Uh, The Ice Cream Obligation. Uh, I quite enjoyed reading it out. Um, it helps to read out your work uh, out loud to yourself. So, so I noticed a few bits where it, it didn't. You know, the uh, the rhythm of the words weren't quite quite right. But uh, that's just the technicality. I can go over that again. But um, overall, I, I quite enjoyed that. Um, yeah, kind of, it reminds me of. Uh, Quirky little time in my, you know, a few minutes of my life that that always uh, remind me. Um, as I say, it was based on a real occurrence, but um, wasn't quite as dramatic as that. I um, yeah, I was, sat, I was sat in the park. It was quite a hot day, and I don't think from he didn't drive over to me. I don't think. What did he? I don't think he did. Nah, he couldn't have done. Sorry, fiction and reality uh, mixing up in my head once again. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he didn't drive over, but he did come over to me and ask me to watch his van for him. And I did kind of. Well, I didn't think he was a drug dealer or anything, but I did kind of. It went through my mind: Why would he ask me to do that? Because uh, what am I gonna do? Some, if someone did well I suppose if someone did come over to the van and start nicking stuff I could have stepped in maybe phone the police but uh, none none of that stuff happened but um, there you go yeah it's a nice sort of reminder for me of what happened Um yeah I was trying to think all throughout that what if there is any symbolism there I'm not sure there is I could maybe put some in maybe the uh, Melting ice cream could symbolise the character's, um, his, his uh, unhappiness melting away, possibly. I could, I could make more of that possibly near the end where he's offered the ice cream. uh, well, it's, it's actually quite a good little story, isn't it? It's a nice little, uh, Snippet of a feel-good story. Sorry, I'm a bit tired still last night. Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Even the bits about the the writing. I mean, I, sometimes I don't like it when writers use, you know, make the characters writers themselves kind of. it doesn't aid with the the escape that uh, writing's supposed to be obviously in fiction I mean, not in, you know, if you're writing an essay or whatever about writing but yeah, when they make the the main character a writer it kind of doesn't unless they're really really different to who they are it it kind of smacks of not really having any experience of any other kind of experience so I was going into it thinking I should change that but I quite like it I think I did it quite well there because he's not still a writer he, he regrets not not getting into the writing as much as he should have and uh, I quite like the, the bit where he's reading the book and he keeps repeating the line uh, and I think when I type it up properly yeah, with his hand pinned to the floor by the Assassin's Blade, David had no way of moving out of the range of the sniper's bullets. With his hand pinned to the floor by the Assassin's Blade. I think I'll put that bit in italics when I uh, type it up. Well, it is typed up. i When I type it up again, because for some reason I, I, I don't know where the, fi- the original file's gone anyway. Didn't I? Yeah, so I will have to type it up again, basically. Uh, and I might type it up on my uh, website. Um... John D. Writing.com so check that out. Uh, John D. Um because I keep promising to put some short stories on there and uh, I keep getting into longer projects and as you probably know I'm working on the uh, I mentioned last time I think, the sequel to Bright Future and that's becoming longer and longer every day. Um working on the Badger Helper Watcher, which I've been reading chapters out on, on this array show. So, anyway, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that little snippet of my work. And next time we will return to business as usual and read another chapter of the Badger Helper Watcher out for you. So, uh, that's it for episode nine of Right You Are. I'll see you next time. You've been great. Thanks for listening. Bye.